Well, where do you turn in a crisis? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to start by telling you where not to turn, which is me. I remember once being so scared as a child that my legs gave way and I collapsed on the ground. It was very, very embarrassing. But I was young, 18. No, no, younger. Another time when I was working at a school, I was so engrossed in schoolwork that I didn't hear the fire alarm go off. Thankfully, it was a drill, but I missed the whole thing. I was very confused afterwards. So don't turn to me in a crisis, but where should you turn? This is the question that we get to as we come to chapter 1 of Ruth, where we will see a real crisis. We come across dramatic devastation and death. Where do we turn when that happens? Well, the book of Ruth is a true story. It's grounded in a real time and place. It's a narrative and it concerns a few relatively unimportant people. They're not great kings like King David. They're not prophets or warriors. They're just everyday people. And it concerns life on a personal level. There's no great wars. There's no nations seemingly at stake. They're not playing for sheep stations, as it were. And on the surface, it's a love story. It's what it's best known as, isn't it? And it really is a good one. It's got rich and poor, trials and joys, tragedy and hope. It's a wonderful read. Philip Jensen actually likened it to a Jane Austen novel. And in some ways, it definitely is. But as we read through it, we'll see that it's so much more. The story of Ruth is the story of God and his people. Through the love story between Ruth and Boaz, we can see and understand God's transforming love for all people and it shows us that our God is extraordinary even in the ordinary. Further, the book of Ruth emphasises the vital role that women play in God's plan for humanity. It turns societal expectations upside down. By the standards of the time, Ruth and Naomi... They would be powerless, inconsequential and unrecorded, but this book shows us that women are central figures, not just in this story, but in the story of God's people in the world. And over the next four weeks, we're going to read and look at the whole story. But chapter one, like all good chapters, or like all good chapter ones of narratives, it introduces us to the settings, the characters of the story, as well as setting up the conflict So that's what we're going to be introduced to today and what a conflict it is. Chapter 1 is actually less like an Austen novel and more like a Shakespearean tragedy. And we're introduced to the crisis very early on and we see the setting for it in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 reads, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. There's a lot that we can take from verse 1, perhaps a surprising amount. We learn that the events take place in the days when the judges ruled. So Israel, God's people, they're in Canaan, the promised land that God had given his people. And it's set in the book of Judges, or in the time that the book of Judges was written, which falls just before it in the Old Testament. 
The people of God here are meant to be enjoying God's blessings as God's people in God's land, but throughout the book of Judges we see that it's not this straightforward and a cycle starts to appear and the cycle goes something like this. Israel forget about God, they turn away from him and towards sin, so God brings judgment on them and the land in which they live. Israel then call to God for help and repent And God, usually through a leader called a judge, rescues Israel and all is good until, well, you get it, they turn away from God again. And we are given a bit of a clue as to which part of the cycle Israel are in at the start of Ruth because we read that there was famine in the land. So this is probably a time of judgment and what was needed from God's people was repentance. However, in verse 1... Repentance isn't the theme that we get. We actually read that a man and his family, they leave Bethlehem in the land God gave them and they flee. So this family of Elimelech, Naomi and their two sons, they went to live in Moab. And again, this might seem fair enough initially. They were hungry, there was a famine in the land, they went to greener pastures, but it needs a closer look as well. See, God had given his people the land that they were in And he promised that if Israel lived properly under God, they would be blessed there. And when they turned away, they were to repent and turn back to God. But rather than do this, Elimelech left. And he didn't just go to the next town, he didn't go just anywhere, but to the land of the Moabites. And we actually have heard a bit about the Moabites already in the Old Testament leading up to this. They were the enemy of Israel. We read about them in Genesis 19, Deuteronomy 23, Numbers 22. There's a history. The Moabites had previously tempted Israel into idolatry. They had openly cursed them. They worshipped another god. And we read in 2 Kings chapter 3 that they even practiced child sacrifice. So this wasn't just like someone from Wollongong moving to Sydney. It was more like someone from Wollongong moving to Dapto. No. I'm sorry, it was too easy. I know, yeah. It was much worse. Elimelech moved his family to enemy territory and his sons even married Moabite women, which they were not to do. So that's the setting of the story and it seems like a crisis already, doesn't it? But it's about to get a lot worse. We're going to see what happens to Elimelech and his family in Moab in the nature of the crisis. So verses 3 to 5... Crisis strikes very quickly. The third verse, Elimelech dies. Death is about as big of a crisis as it gets, isn't it? And if that's not enough, by verse 5, both of Naomi's sons die. This leaves Naomi as a widow with two widowed daughters-in-law. It's a truly desperate situation. This is agony for Naomi. What a personal tragedy. It's a tragedy on a scale that most of us, thankfully, can't really comprehend or wrap our heads around. If you've been close to death, you know what a crisis it is. And Naomi here has had her husband and her two sons ripped away from her. The family we read had lived in Moab for 10 years. No doubt Ruth and Orpah during this time were trying to have children. They lived in a time where husbands were the only means of provision, children the only means of being taken care of as you grew older. 
It was a place in a time with no health care or welfare. A woman whose children died before her was left alone. It's unnatural, it's cruel, a true tragedy. The death of a child is something parents never truly recover from, is it? And this is the setting of the story of Ruth. True, heartbreaking tragedy. Kind of has a a ring of Job, doesn't it here? Everything you have, your hope for the future, your family, your security, your very physical safety stripped away. Naomi is left as a poor and powerless refugee, foreign land, enemy territory, with two widowed dependents, no way to care for them, no hope for the future. What are they to do? Well, how do they respond? That concerns the main part of the first chapter, their response to the crisis. And we're going to start with Naomi. Well, Naomi hears that the drought in Canaan has broken and she turns her thoughts and her mind to home. Like the prodigal son, she returns to God's land. This tragedy has understandably left her empty and bitter. In verse 20, she even wants to change her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. Wonder if you've ever been so downcast that you want to change your name. She is clearly questioning why God is letting these things happen. Three times she refers to God having a hand in this. And I wonder if you have ever been bitter at God. Have you wondered why God has allowed things to happen? And if you have, you're not alone. But look at Naomi. She chooses to return to God's land and God's people and in the midst of a crisis, to return to God. Well, there and back again is the subtitle of Tolkien's The Hobbit. Personally, I also think it's a much better title than The Hobbit. Should have stuck with it. And importantly, The Hobbit doesn't end when the dragon is defeated. If you know the story, it keeps going until Bilbo returns home to the Shire again. It's a really important part of the story. And likewise, in Lord of the Rings, it doesn't end at the destruction of the ring or Mount Doom, but not until Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin return to the Shire. And the first chapter of Ruth could well be titled There and Back Again, And this idea of returning or going back is central to the chapter. The word return or go back is used ten times. And likewise, our story doesn't end in tragedy. We know in the midst of crisis that it is not the end. Our story isn't finished until we rest in our eternal home, heaven. As a Christian, if we turn to God, even in tragedy, we live in hope. Your life might feel like you are close to Mount Doom at the moment, like Smeagol is right behind you, like Sauron's eye. Okay, you get the metaphor. You can draw your own. Yep. But take comfort in knowing that our story doesn't end there. Where else can you find lasting hope and comfort in the midst of darkness, than knowing that there is light to come. 
being a Christian truly is wonderful, isn't it? And this really is the important bit of this chapter, is that when tragedy strikes, Naomi turns back to God. We get a glimpse in verse 21 that she understands that it's God who brought her back. And sometimes God does use tragedy to bring people back to him. C.S. Lewis once famously said that pain is God's megaphone, yelling at us to come back to him. Are you bitter? Well, turn back to God, be reminded of his good promises to us, of his unfailing love, the knowledge that he works in all things for our good, and that the pain and brokenness, the crisis we face, whatever it is, That's not the end of the story, that we have hope, thanks be to God. Turn to God in prayer, knowing that he listens and answers. And turn to him as your father, who loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place, so we can have right relationship with him. God promises to never turn us away when we come to him. He won't reject anyone who comes back to him. John 6:37 says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. I do wonder if there's an application here for us about choosing to be with our Christian community at church, even when it's the hardest, even when we are struggling with grief in the midst of crisis or even just lacking motivation. We are all suffering grief of different kinds, We might want to stay away to ourselves, to take time away, but we need to come back to God, don't we? And in a real and tangible way, gathering together at church, under God and with each other, will help us as we seek to love God and each other, as we encourage each other and walk with each other through bad times as well as good. And if you have forgotten God, well, it's not too late. A going away and coming back story is, is part of life. A book that I was reading in preparation for this series said this, and I found it really good. The whole Bible and the story of the world is a going away and coming back story. It's about humanity going away from God and God's salvation plan bringing us back. And at the centre of this plan is Jesus What happens in Bethlehem calls for all of us to turn back to God, no matter how far away you think you are. Come home to the God who made you and loved you, loves you. Come back with small expectations if that's all you have. Come back bitter if you must, but come back. You may have been away ten years or ten days. Either way, it is too long. Ruth 1 is a story about someone who went away but came home. And it's an invitation for us to do the same. I think that's so beautiful, isn't it? You are never too far away from God. God delights when his children return to him. Jesus is God coming to humanity to bring humanity to God. Well, what about Orpah and Ruth? In verse 9, Naomi urges Ruth and Orpah to likewise return to their homes because they need provision, security, safety and rest in the midst of crisis, just like we all do. 
Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws to return to their Moabite homes because that is where they will find these things. They would not likely find a husband in Bethlehem because they're foreigners. Naomi herself is past childbearing age. And in verses 11 to 13, we read her rationale there. And we read about an important custom, a good one, that said when an Israelite husband died, his brother or near relative was to marry the widow to continue the brother's name and also to look after, to care for and provide for her. So Naomi is saying that, well, she's referring to this custom and saying that she has no sons to marry, to care for, to provide for Ruth or Orpah. And even if she did have sons tonight, it said by the time they grew up, it would be too late, they wouldn't be able to marry. So what do Ruth and Orpah do? We'll start with Orpah. Well, she decides to return to her family. The decision is one that makes sense, at least from a worldly perspective, doesn't it? When faced with crisis, with trial and tragedy, Orpah returns to what is safe and comfortable to her. But importantly, note what Naomi says of Orpah in verse 15, that Orpah returned to her her gods. She turned back to the life she led before she was brought into Naomi's family and worshipped Naomi's God. How tempting it can be when things don't go as expected to abandon our relationship with God, to seek comfort and refuge in worldly comforts, in things that are temporary and don't last. But how hollow. We must ask if such things will provide what we really need. Will they give us lasting hope, comfort and rest? Don't be like Orpah and put your hope in the wrong things. And then we get to Ruth. Ruth decides to stay with Naomi. It's an incredible, courageous decision, particularly given her position as an outsider. This is a position that the chapter makes really clear. The author uses the title Ruth the Moabite five times, and she's also referred to as a foreigner and the Moabite wife. My favourite reference is actually in chapter 2 where it says, Ruth the Moabite from Moab, just in case we didn't get it. However, the Moabite, Ruth, turns out to be the loyal, hard-working heroine of the story who adopts the God of Israel as her God and is, and this is a bit of a spoiler alert, revealed in chapter 4 to be the great-grandmother of King David, of the line of Jesus. But why does she choose to return, not to Moab, but to Canaan, to Bethlehem with Naomi? Well, we get to the beautiful, oft-quoted verses, verse 16 and 17, they say this. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Here this is often quoted at weddings and you see why. Ruth doesn't stay out of convenience, does she? She doesn't stay with Naomi, returning to Bethlehem because it's easiest. She's actually giving up all of her earthly prospects for security, stability, for rest and safety by doing so. She's choosing God before her marital prospects and material well-being. 
And it is important to say here that God doesn't promise in hardship that he will make suffering disappear, that he will make the crisis go. He doesn't promise physical rest. And the Christian life is inescapably one of toil and labour. And we see this in Ruth itself. In the next chapter, when Ruth returns, not everything is good straight away. They immediately have to get to work. They're still poor. And at the end of chapter 1, we are still left with two hungry and lowly widows. Although as we come to the last verse of chapter 1, we do read that they return at the beginning of the barley harvest. This does give us a glimmer of hope going forward. Not all is lost. means the famine is finished and the harvest is ready. But at this stage, Naomi has returned with a female dependent with no way of providing for herself or for Ruth. There are lots of questions left. Ruth seems to have realised in some way that it is not her earthly home or the prospects of a husband or a job or a family, but in God that true rest and salvation are found. As we've seen, death is the great crisis, isn't it? It's the one we are all marching towards. We need to find rescue, rest and security, just like the characters in Ruth. And we can only do this through Jesus' rescue on the cross. As we sung in the song earlier, Jesus died for our sins and rose again, defeating death. Victory over our great enemy and crisis. Praise God. The crisis of death has been dealt with. We have been brought back to God and our rescuer will return again to bring us permanently into our eternal home to rest with him forever. How wonderful is that? God used tragedy to bring Naomi and Ruth home to him and he wants us to come to him as well. He wants us to acknowledge our crisis. He wants us to trust in Jesus to save us from it. I thought the song we sung, the new one, was was fantastic. One of the verses said, Death was once our great opponent. Fear once had a hold on me. But the son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed. Praise God for that.